It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys all back for another day. Spending another day really talking a lot about that Vikings Bills game from Sunday. It deserves that second day treatment. Um, we probably would have talked about it no matter what because we do a lot of Tuesday football talk on the show during the fall anyway. But uh, in particular, Andrew Kramer will join me here in just a little bit talking about uh, looking at the film review of the game. Uh, how Justin Jefferson was able to make so many contested catches in that game, especially the you know the big that fourth down catch uh, to to extend that late drive that led to all the drama unfolding in that game. But not just that play; a lot of those plays, Kirk Cousins throwing it up to him to make a play, and him coming down with it, and standing in contrast to the week before, where he really was not able to come down with a lot of those contested catches against Washington. Um, We'll also look at the offensive line, which took a big step forward after having some struggles in recent weeks. Keith Rashad will join me after that for our weekly segment. Uh, My least favorite team is my favorite team. Vikings chugging along now at 8-1. Not a lot to complain about in this moment, but uh, we'll take a look at, at some of the finer points of the game as well. We'll get to Gophers men's basketball at the very end of the show. Tough loss for them to DePaul, ending a pretty significant streak for them. First, though, what did I miss? You know, found Monday Night Football to be pretty interesting this week from a couple different perspectives. One, of course, being if you missed the final result, Washington pulls a pretty big upset at Philadelphia. Uh, 32-21, the final score. Washington was up 26-21 late. Philadelphia had one desperation possession at the end that ended up in a touchdown when Washington returned the uh, you know, returned the uh, laterals that uh, Philadelphia was trying for, uh, recovered it in the end zone for touchdown. So that final margin, a little bit deceptive. But if you look at that game, significant for the Vikings from two different reasons. One, of course, being now Philadelphia also 8-1, and one, the last of the unbeatens in the league to fall. So now the Vikings and Eagles tied atop the NFC. Now, of course, Philadelphia has the tiebreaker over the Vikings uh, by virtue of that being there. The Vikings only lost this season earlier at Philadelphia. But uh, that that gives the Vikings a little bit of hope as they think about going forward and maybe um, you know maybe getting that number one seed. Long ways away, a lot of games left. Obviously, Philadelphia is still a very strong team. But uh, that that pulls them a little bit uh, a little bit closer. Now you can imagine it happening a lot more easily. Philadelphia playing in a much tougher division than the Vikings still has to play the Giants twice. Still has to play at Dallas. So there's some tougher games on Philadelphia's schedule looming that you could imagine um, some more losses for them, especially with the way they played. And that's the second piece of this. If you're looking for a cautionary tale for how this can all fall apart for one of these top teams, especially the Vikings, football is. At its core, not a very complicated game, and one of the key markers of success in almost any season is going to be your turnover margin. Philadelphia came into this game number one by a long shot in the NFL in turnover margin. Coming in, they were a plus 15 through eight games. Number two on that list, the Vikings at plus eight now through nine games after a bevy of takeaways keyed that win over Buffalo. But in this game against Washington, Philadelphia turned it over more times than they had all year uh, coming into the game. They'd only turned it over three times coming into this game. They turned it over four times against Washington, including some really key ones in the second half, some key fumbles in particular that uh, that led to to that, uh, that final outcome. So if you're looking for, you know, 
it's it, like I said, not complicated. If you're looking for a way that teams who are maybe exceeding expectations can have that come apart, whether it's for a game, whether it's for a stretch, whether it becomes for a season, that is your cautionary tale for the Vikings. Have to keep playing clean football. And I think they've been getting away with a few things in the turnover category, especially on the fumble side. Vikings have eight fumble recoveries this year um, for turnovers, and they only have two that they've given away. That doesn't always feel sustainable. The interceptions can be sustainable, although in that case, too, the Vikings have eight interceptions, have given up eight interceptions by Kirk Cousins. That is by far the most of any team who is in you know, in the top 10 of that turnover margin. So some things to watch for the Vikings as things go along. Can they sustain that turnover margin? Can they keep forcing and recovering fumbles at a rate far greater than they're giving up fumbles? And again, they practice these things, and they they are big believers in that what you practice is what will show up on game day. So I'm not saying this isn't sustainable. I am saying that's something they need to keep going because any game where they are going to where they suffer in that category, as they did against Philadelphia earlier this year in their only loss, watch that going forward of the Vikings. If they are going to keep up this pace, if they are going to keep winning on the margins, they're going to keep having to win, particularly on the turnover margins. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Film Review Time with Andrew Kramer joins me every Tuesday on Daily Delivery. Covers the Vikings, of course, for the Star Tribune. Nothing to see here, Andrew. Very little, limited, um, interesting tape to look back on after that uh, 33-30 to um, overtime win over Buffalo. Joking, of course, Andrew. Um, my goodness, there was plenty to uh, to break down. I think we got to get to the offensive line here in a little bit because they had been kind of... Uh, They'd taken a downturn this season, I think, in recent weeks, but uh, they showed really well, I thought, against a very good defense in Buffalo. Vikings scored by far the most points put up against the Bills so far this season. But um, we got to start with the man of the game, Justin Jefferson. And just what whatever you wanted to say about his game against Washington, which I felt like, you know, outside of that first drive against Washington where he gets the touchdown, he, he did not he did not excel in contested catches against um, the Commanders two weeks ago. That changed for the better, I would say, against Buffalo. Not just the, the miracle one-hand fourth down grab, but throughout the day, Kirk Cousins either throwing him, throwing it to him when he's clearly covered or throwing to him in tight spaces and Jefferson consistently coming down at the ball. Yeah, right out of the gate. Justin Jefferson has the 22-yard touchdown on Bill's corner, Dane Jackson. Um, That worked so well on the first drive that the Vikings tried to put TJ Hawkinson on the same player later in the game and threw up an end zone shot to TJ where I think that's the one a lot of fans wanted a DPI on on Jackson, on Hawkinson that they didn't get. But point being, Justin Jefferson makes a lot of guys look like that. And, And so it doesn't always work with other players, but um, Jefferson certainly did it on Sunday. The, the one-handed catch obviously is going to be the highlight that's shown over and over, but he did some remarkable things throughout this game outside of that. Um, just looking over some of his third down catches where he was such a consistent target 
helping the Vikings move the chains on third and seven, third and 11, third and 10, just all of these spots that are just awful spots for an offense to be in. And Jefferson's answering their prayers. Um, a lot of over the middle kind of in-breaking stuff. He has that 46 yarder on the first drive where he, another contested catch, defensive back all over him at the catch point. He kind of rips away from it, reverses field and goes upfield. That's really hard to do on a Bills defense that, leads the league or near the top of the league in terms of lowest missed tackle rate. Um, and he was making those guys look like a bad defense at times. And even when he was covered, like we talked about, he still finds a way to come down with it. Um, KJ Osborne said after the game, the ball was catching him today. And that's, that's really what it looked like. Well, that's certainly what it looked like on the play, you know, fourth and forever. Um, just kind of exemplified. It was, a you know, kind of the, the most glaring example of, Kirk Cousins with, you know, some pressure and also nowhere else probably to to go necessarily with the ball, trusting someone like Jefferson, like, hey, if this is the if this is the game on the line, if we don't make, you know, 18 yards or whatever it was on this play, the game is essentially over. I don't I think this the game is over if they don't make that play because they've only got one timeout left. You're inside of two minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Um just throwing it up to him and seeing seeing if he can make a play. And obviously, it's a circus catch. He gets one hand on it. I don't know how he controlled it. I don't know how he got a hand on it to begin with. I don't know how he controlled it as he got to the ground, but he did. Like there was nothing, you know, nothing even to review once you saw it. You're like, you didn't know how he did it, but he did it. And so, um, you know, aside from the amazingness of that catch, it it was kind of a microcosm of Cousins trusting Jefferson to make a play. And I just don't feel like that's necessarily been his MO uh, as the years have gone on necessarily. Yeah. You're, you're, I think you're seeing Kirk feel a little bit more empowered um, to do that. And it's not to say that he didn't always put it up when there's go balls or fade situations, but what we're seeing now is Kirk more willingness to throw over the middle of the field where the reads are a lot muddier. There's a lot more people involved. The coverages can come from many more different directions when you're throwing over the middle. And the problem with Kirk adjusting to this offense was, he seemed reluctant to do that, and that's what Kevin O'Connell wants them to do. When you think of the Rams, when you think of Cooper Cup, what they're really good at is setting up, as we've talked about, yards after the catch. They're setting those guys up to catch on the run, on the move, and oftentimes the ball needs to be rifled over the middle of the field. And Kirk has a decent arm, but it's, it's not the strongest arm in the NFL. And so I think you've seen him be reluctant to do that risk-averse a little bit. And there was some, there's a third and seven in the first half of that game in Buffalo where Kirk just rifles it on a, on a kind of a quick slant to Justin or skinny post over the middle. And he catches it with his fingertips and goes for 14 yards uh, with close man coverage on him. Those are the kind of plays too, where you're not going to see it replayed on a highlight reel, but it's so important for the quarterback to trust timing routes, all those kinds of things that I'm going to be able to squeeze this between coverage and you're going to be able to catch it. Um, it's, it's the stuff that we see top quarterback and wide receiver pairings do in the NFL, and we're starting to see Kirk and, and Jeff, Jefferson do it more and more. Um, and it goes to you know way back when Jefferson was a rookie, and he's telling him, just throw the ball. I'll do it. And, and he continues to do it. You made a good point about him before we started recording, before we transitioned a little bit to some offensive line play. Uh, he, he sprung a key block on that long Dalvin Cook touchdown run, and that's another thing that receivers are asked to do that maybe don't show up on the highlight reels all the time or aren't all that glamorous but that play that play you know changes completely the complexion of the game Vikings going nowhere at that point they'd had the the opening drive touchdown then their traditional two and a half quarter 
um, vacation, their slumber before coming alive again. Um, where, where does he stand as a blocker in general? Well, he certainly got the willingness to do it. I think he's always been a little skinnier, right? And, and so defenses use that against him even as a receiver. I think you've seen when he's best covered, it's when you've got a long, lengthy uh, opposing corner who's being really physical at the line, throwing him down at times, maybe being borderline illegal contact, but just having contact on him nonetheless. So that's been a work in progress. You've seen K.J. Osborne become much more of the featured wide receiver in those sets where when they go tight or they go bunch set, K.J. is put in a spot to hit the linebacker, hit the safety over the middle. You can have Justin do that too. That changes a lot of – it's it's almost like in the passing game where you can move guys around because they can do so many different things. Well, if you can start putting Justin in you know, closer to the line and trust him to make those blocks – that's going to get rid of a tell for the defense where, oh, when we see Justin there, they might actually be running it instead of trying to bait us to come closer so he can go deep and throw over the top. Um, he's coming along and plays like that. I'm sure I'm sure coaches at TCO are just as excited about that block as they are, or maybe almost they are of that one-handed catch because it, it shows his evolution and continued growth and that he cares. And that's that's a big part of it. If he cares and he wants to, you can block, and that's kind of how these guys view it. Speaking of blocking, uh, the Vikings had much better performance on the offensive line. I'd say the pro football focus grades bear that out, saw those on Monday. Interesting, the highest pass blocking grade of anyone on the line given to reserve tackle Blake Brandle forced into action kind of right in the middle of that crazy game when the Vikings were essentially throwing two-thirds, three-fourths of the time just because they're trying to come back. They're they're at a deficit. Holds his own pretty well. Um, everybody held up res- relatively well. A, a difference from recent weeks, especially that Washington game where it felt like they got thrown around quite a bit. Um, what did you make of how they were able to kind of protect Cousins enough to let him make some of those plays? Yeah, that was a hard-fought game for them because they – are in a spot where Cousins is dropping back 50 times. I mean, you tell them that before the game, they're going to say, well, we, we probably lost. Um, and Kirk still takes four sacks. He takes a few hits as well. But overall, the efficiency, the percentages, the way that they protected in critical key moments, that's the big takeaway uh, for, for Brian O'Neill, for Ezra Cleveland, for the entire line. And, and I think that's why Brian O'Neill, after the game, felt so good about how he played against Vaughn Miller probably about how Blake Brandle played um, Christian Darisaw before him and, and really an interior line that was attacked by Buffalo continually attacked. And that's going to keep happening, right? Teams know that that's their weakness. Um, but Buffalo was doing, they were throwing stunts at him on third downs. They were blitzing up the middle. Dalvin Cook had a tremendous blitz pickup on the 22 yard touchdown to Jefferson right out of the gate. Um, so it wasn't just the O line. Everybody was protecting really well for them in those gotta-have-it key moments. It wasn't always the case on first down, wasn't always the case on second down. But like I said before, somehow they converted four third and tens or longer, and then that fourth and six and that fourth and 18. You can't do that unless your offensive line and your protectors are holding up in those key moments. And you also got to credit Kirk, because oftentimes he's stepping in there and he knows, I got to hold this for just a half second and I'm going to get drilled, but we got to do it to, to get the play done, and he does. Yeah, pass blocking grades like I was talking about uh, per PFF. Blake Brandle, 80.2. These are out of 100. That's very good. Ezra Cleveland, 76.4, and he was even better in run blocking. 
Derisov before he went out, 75.7. O'Neill, 71.1. Ed Ingram, 56.2. Garrett Bradbury was 67. So Ed Ingram still... Kind of the uh, the the weak link, uh, both in run blocking and pass blocking. His his evolution, you know, I think people were pretty excited about him at the start of the year as a potential solution. You know, the a, a rookie drafted relatively high. His arc seems to be trending a little bit downward. What did you see from him aside from just the raw numbers in this game? Yeah, he's a much better run blocker than he is a pass protector, and it doesn't help though as a run blocker when you step on Kirk's foot twice, as he did <clears throat> twice, twice. First time doing it when Kirk pitches the ball back, it's, it's fumbled, um, and obviously doing it again later. You, you can't keep doing that. That's that's a basic footwork thing right out of your stance. Uh, that needs to get corrected. And obviously, as a pass protector, he's he's the number one liability. Um, Garrett Bradbury has been getting pushed backward but he's not getting beat. He's not getting beat as quickly as he's gotten beat in the past. He has continued to be much more stable in the middle there, but um, woof Ed Ingram, when you get him in passing downs and that's why those third and longs are such tough spots for the Vikings where they really don't want to be. And that's why it's remarkable the way that when they did get in those spots, they found ways to, to help Ingram and Ingram held up, held up enough on his own uh, for them to get the job done on there. But, um, yeah, Ingram is still very much the weak link. And then I should say, too, Ezra Cleveland, I thought, did much better in this game. He had a rough game in Washington. Um, the matchup wasn't that much easier in Buffalo, but he just looked much more aggressive. He was helping his teammates out, hitting guys that weren't necessarily his assignment, uh, looking for work, looking for contact. That's what you want out of an offensive lineman. That's what you want out of a guard. It's supposed to be that kind of chain in the middle there, uh, helping everybody out. And if he can continue doing that, that's going to help this offense a lot um, if you can do that against every opponent and not just one of the best defenses in Buffalo. And obviously, Derisaw went out with a concussion. We'll see what his status is as the week goes on. They'll certainly get a challenge from Dallas as well. Favored Dallas team, by the way. They opened as two-point favorites at Minnesota on Sunday. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting opening line anyway. We'll see where that gets to as the week goes on. But uh Nope, maybe for good reason. Dallas does have, you know, they have some strengths in Minnesota. I think people are still unconvinced even after the eight and one record. And now you're starting to see a few of these injuries pile up, especially in the secondary and on the offensive line. Um, long term, if Darisaw has to miss time, if if Ingram doesn't clean some things up, this this does have the potential to to kind of go a little sideways on them. They are continuing to ride that razor thin margin. I mean, it's four fumbles. Uh, four times the ball was put on the ground in this game, and the Vikings recovered every single one of them. That That's just not going to happen. The ball's going to bounce a different way one time. But we keep saying this. Last night on the Access Vikings podcast, Ben and I talked about how they can't keep getting these defensive takeaways in key fourth-quarter moments, right? And then they just keep doing it. Right. So I don't know. Maybe we'll just keep saying they can't keep doing it, and then they'll go out there and do it again. Well, we'll see if they do it again Sunday. Regardless of whether they do it or not, we will talk about it next week. Andrew Kramer, appreciate it. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. Postscript to my conversation with Andrew. Justin Jefferson now leads the NFL in receiving yards per game, 117.8. He's only number two in overall overall yards behind Tyreek Hill, but Tyreek Hill has played one more game because Miami has not had their bye yet. So Justin Jefferson looking very much like the top receiver in the league, uh, or at least worthy of being in the very elite of that conversation. The name of this segment is... My least favorite team is my favorite team. We do 
haikus, vikus, if you will. But I've, I'm beginning to think the unofficial name of this segment, at least this year, with my good friend Keith Rashad, is here for a good time, but not a long time. And uh, that that espouses your view of this year's Vikings eight and one now, Keith. After that game on uh, on Sunday, um, I don't think I think the only way to properly express what's going on here is through poetry. Um, what what do you uh, what do you think about what do you think about that? Should we should we get right into the haikus, the vikus, if you will? Well, I was going to save this one for last. I have four this week. Okay. Uh, but since you spoke to the issue, maybe we should just just jump right into it. Let's do it. All right. <clears throat> Don't do this, Vikings. I came here for a good time, not to lose my heart. Yeah. I mean, the more crazy, weird wins they have, um, becomes inevitable that they start moving up in the standings and start entering into those conversations like, are they a legitimate Super Bowl contender? Things like that. Justin Jefferson saying stuff like this is our year. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's gotten to the point where you can't, ju- maybe you can, maybe you can just still enjoy it for what it is, but uh, it's getting more serious now, isn't it? It Like deadly serious. Like, I mean, deadly serious, but it, it's like, it's the, the should I pop the question type of serious that we're, we're right. getting here almost right? right like you said it you said we said the theme has been here for a good time not for a long time right because I have steadfastly not believed in any way shape or form that this team would be competitive enough to win the Super Bowl but they are currently in one and they, they just one. beat quite possibly the best team in the NFL according to some people or how it was yes. looking for, for a period of time. Right. So if you go on the road and you beat a team like that, when again, the refs did not necessarily do you too many favors in that game, although maybe you got one or two calls for yourself. Uh, like I, I don't want to do this. No, I don't want to believe that this team can win it all. Because it's so much more fun just enjoying the wins if you don't speculate on what it could end up being. Right. Because we know what it's likely going to be. We know what it has been every single time in the past. And so to sit here and think, oh, maybe this is the one. Right. You know, it's like it's like going to the bar, finding Mr. or Mrs. Uh, right this night, and, and then thinking about, well, you know... Boy, we had a real chemistry there. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe the good time scary. is for a long time. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. And I don't want any of this. No. I don't want any of this. You just want to enjoy game by game. You just want to take it game by game. You want to go one and oh on the Dallas season. As PJ exactly Fleck would say. Right. I just I don't want to live in a world where I believe that this team could win the Super Bowl because we've been down this road before and it is starting to get terrifying. It's starting Haiku. to get terrifying. Let me hear Vaiku too, because I think we're going to get into some of the themes of this game and the broader, the broader uh, season at, at large here. Okay. Recorded the game. I was enraged at halftime. Then I checked the score. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you cheated. 
Well, yeah, I did. I this was one of the few games we've established many times. I don't yes. live in the viewing area. And yeah. so, but this was one of those rare games when the, it was on the local TV channel where I live. Okay. However, I was uh, at a hockey jamboree with my son yep. while the game was going on. So, so I recorded it and we started watching it when we got home. And the way that it started, it looked awful and it was terrible. And it was kind of what you were expecting that game was going to be with all of the narratives with Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and all of it, right? And then, so I decided when it got to be halftime, do I waste any more time with this game or do we just shut it off and and find some cartoon show to watch with my six-year-old son or whatever? And I looked and I was like, wait a minute, that score does not match up with what's happening at halftime here. And so then you have to watch the rest of it. And it was ridiculous because I knew what the outcome was going to be. And I was still nervous the entire time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I was still on the edge of my seat watching that game, not believing what was happening. Yeah. Well, I I watched it on record as well because we had something going on Sunday afternoon, and I I didn't fast forward through any parts until. So I, I watched, you know, I fast forward fast forward through commercials, of course, fast forward through, you know, like. Um, reviews of play, stuff like that. But I'm watching play by play. So I'm still, I'm, I'm cutting down to probably like an hour and a half of game time. So it's getting down to Kirk Cousins gets stopped on the quarterback sneak. And it's just like, that's that's ball game. So I just, yeah. I fast forward there, but I can still see the TV. I still see what's on the TV as it's fast forwarding. I'm like, wait a minute. It seems like Vikings players are celebrating. What are they <laughs> celebrating? So I have to like go back and then I'm like, oh my, oh my God, what just happened? They recovered a fumble in the end zone when all Buffalo had to do was, you know, do a, do two quarterback sneaks forward with a 500 pound quarterback. Who's, you know, somehow also the the second coming of, you know, he's the greatest runner and greatest passer ever. I don't know. He's, he's a huge guy. He's a big guy. You'd think a clean snap and fall forward a couple of times, the game's over. And, and it just wasn't. So that was where I got caught in the, uh, right up until the very end. And then of course I, I had to, of course, uh, kept it riveted for, Overtime and so many back and forths in that game. Um, from you know, middle of the fourth quarter on the Justin Jefferson catch, which Andrew and I talked about earlier, just ridiculous catch. Um, just still don't know how he caught that pass and just everything that happened in that game. So many times you thought they had it won, so many times you thought they had it lost. Um, it was just something else, but yes, I recorded it as well. <laughs> it was the tension that I felt watching it fold out and unfold well i already knew the score yes it was just stunning to me and the just fact that i was able to avoid the score was stunning to me i just the phones off i'm head down phones off i knew people were texting me i knew something was going on but i'm like i'm not gonna look oh i don't want to know right. i don't want to know so there you have it okay vaiku three please all right you you already spoke to this a little bit and we won't dwell on it but i just have to say something about it. yeah okay three. okay Stefan Diggs was great. Justin Jefferson, better. I just love them both. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, sports, the entirety of sports um, is is an all-encompassing, like, giant, you know, giant thing. But I, 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 it is, I would be hard-pressed to find a trade where you could say, 
that worked out really well for both teams and mean it more than I mean it about this trade where Diggs goes to Buffalo. You still get to watch him do his thing. He's still great. The Vikings draft Justin Jefferson with the pick they got for Stefan Diggs, and he turns out to be great. And then they play each other for the first time, and they're both great as well. I do not know. I, yeah, I, I watch. You're watching the game unfold. Stefan Diggs makes an amazing one-handed catch. Yes. And you think to yourself, I thought to myself, that is the best play I have seen or I'm going to see for a very long time. Yes. And then. And then just a little while later. Just a little while later. Justin Jefferson makes that play. Yes. Right? Like, now. Yes. Part of the reason why I still love Stefan Diggs and will always love him, right, is because he helped to give me the single greatest moment of joy I've ever had as a Vikings fan. Yes. With the Minneapolis Miracle. Nothing has been better no. in my fandom than, than that particular moment. He's going to be uh, it, it, in the pantheon of Vikings greats in my mind for right. all time. Yes. Uh, but... But man, that Justin Jefferson, you are absolutely, it worked out. It, it just worked plain out. worked out. It just did. And, and it it felt like there's no way it could have, right? No. It really felt like Stefan Diggs forced his way out of town. Yes. I don't blame him. I didn't, I wouldn't have wanted to play for Mike Zimmer, particularly at the right. end as, as well either, right? So it, I don't blame him one bit. But somehow they got better at the position. Yes. It's just... I love them both. Yeah, you can love them both. It's okay to love them both because they barely play each other. You can still, you can like Buffalo. Buffalo's kind of a fun team to root for. If you want to pick a AFC team, feel free to root for AFC Vikings, the only other, you know, the 0-4 Super Bowl Bills. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a fun, that's a fun team and they, they're, they're, they're likable and it was a just a great game. Okay, final Vaiku, please, sir. A missed extra point. Zimmer would have cut his butt, yet he won the game. Yeah, I mean, I guess when it comes down to it, he did make the what proved to be the game-winning field goal. It doesn't mean I'm not concerned about these extra points. That's four four missed extra points now for Greg Joseph. Uh, I think nobody else in the league has missed more than two. And you combine that with some of you know, all the other kicks that he's missed, the field goals have been long and some have been blocked. So that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. He's, he's made some clutch kicks this year, but... The, Make your extra points. That could have been a big one. I mean, that was the reason, obviously, they had to go for it. And maybe they they probably still go for it on fourth and an inch at the very end instead of kicking a game-tying field goal. But the reason they're in the position to need the touchdown is because he missed that extra point. It, it, it could and still might cost them at some point this year. Well, yes, that's absolutely true. But in many ways, this haiku is less about Greg Joseph and more about the philosophy of the team. Okay over these last couple of years. Sure. In that a post-game press conference, Zimmer would have gone out of his way to make that an issue and complain about things and, and talk about how much he hates kickers or, or uh, treats them with a level of contempt that suggests that he does not even think that they're human. And so this year, however, right, it, it could, could very well still be an issue we recognize that there are struggles there, but Greg Joseph has made some important kicks and uh, performed well for the team in the clutch. And it just 
strikes me as a different vibe, right? And how that how we would have been hearing about the kicker, even in that crazy game, if this were last year, and yeah. how this team just seems to have a different mindset and philosophy, and heaven forbid, enjoy going to their jobs. Yes, in a way that they clearly didn't last year. Yeah, you make a mistake, um, go go do it better next time. Not that you want to see someone fail to execute, but it's going to happen. And the kickers are just more magnified because they only do their jobs every so often. But every blows, everybody probably blows an assignment on every single play that happens, or almost every play, and you don't notice it because it doesn't matter, or you you move on quickly. You don't move on from kicks, but they do seem to move on relatively quickly as opposed to uh, maybe sometimes in the past. Like I mentioned and wrote about on Monday, Vikings underdogs, at least they opened as underdogs, at home against Dallas on Sunday. So if they want to play the Nobody Still Respects Us card, that is a card they can certainly still feel free to play in the wake of that uh, that uh, kind of disrespect, if you want to put it that way, from the betting odds. Let's finish with the cooler. Gophers men's basketball, tough one against DePaul. Cold shooting in the first half. They lose 69-53. Jamison Battle still out with an injury. Uh, this couldn't get much going in that game. A seven-minute scoring drought in the first half. Uh, fans getting a little bit restless in that game. 16-game um, non-conference home winning streak comes to an end in that game. Like I said, 69-53 final. DePaul, a very uh, physical, older team. Uh, the, the, the oldest team in a high major basketball, according to Marcus Fuller's game story. Good stat there. So Gophers very inexperienced right now. A lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores. A pretty good learning experience, but maybe one they would have preferred to, preferred to learn in a slightly closer game. That will do it for today. Chris Hines should be with me on tomorrow's show to talk Timberwolves. Plenty to get into with him about that team. Thank you for listening today. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again on Wednesday. 